Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Compound and Friends. So excited to bring you this evening's new show. We have an all-new What Are Your Thoughts segment with Michael Batnick and myself. We get into everything from the SEC's Twitter account being hacked uh, over Bitcoin nonsense. What else is new? Uh, We get into valuation, earnings, CPI coming this week. The banks are reporting. There's just a, we, we do a whole thing on YouTube. There's so much going on. And before that, a conversation with my friend, Eddie Elfenbein, one of the funniest people in finance, also running an active ETF that over the last five years has outperformed both Warren Buffett and Kathy Wood. And that's an awesome story. And Eddie gives us some brand new stocks to take a look at for 2024 with his all-new Crossing Wall Street buy list. So you are going to absolutely love the show. I hope you love it as much as we love bringing it to you. Thanks so much. I want to thank our sponsor very quickly, Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a financial app that helps you track your spending and save money on the things that you're paying for, but you don't even know why. We all have subscriptions, things we've signed up for, things we've forgotten about. Take control. Now is the time. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Rocket Money has over 5 million users. They've helped save people an average of $720 a year. That's over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Go to rocketmoney.com slash compound. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions today rocketmoney.com slash compound. Okay, I'm going to send you to the show now. Enjoy, have fun. We'll talk to you soon. Welcome to The Compound and Friends. All opinions expressed by Josh Brown, Michael Batnick, and their castmates are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Okay. Hey, everybody. It's downtown Josh Brown. I'm here with my old friend, Edward J. Elfenbein. You probably know him as Eddie Elfenbein of the Crossing Wall Street blog. Eddie is a researcher, a deep thinker, a jokester, a prankster. No, it doesn't cross over into pranks. Philanthropist? Yeah. (laughs) Eddie's an asset manager, and Eddie, every January 1st, sets his new buy list, and the buy list is 25 stocks, and most of the time, stocks are carrying over from the prior year, so it's not 25 new stocks, but it is his list of 25 stocks that he wants to be long for the entire year. And then the buy list just does not change. But Eddie, let's let's just like give people a little bit of a glimpse into the why behind this strategy. And then we'll talk about, you know, some of the names that are in your list for 2024. Yeah, uh, uh, thanks for the intro. I, you know, I, I wanted to show when I started the blog uh, almost 20 years ago, I wanted to show investors that you can do very well in investing with a set and forget mentality. You don't have to do a lot of trading. You don't have to be in and out. You don't have to get well-known growth stock names. You can get a sort of boring portfolio, set and hold it, and be disciplined, and you can do very well with the market. So I set out to prove that by setting up the buy list. We changed it's 25 what year stocks. Is this? Uh, so this is our 19th buy list. So I guess it was 2006 was our first oh my one. God. Yeah, okay. and right. and it's you know live on the website every day for you know nearly uh, twenty years, 
And the rule is uh, each year, five new ones come in, five old ones get kicked out. So we okay. keep the turnover at 20%. Average holding period is five years. And the, uh, if there's a, a lesson I can pass on to uh, people listening is a lot of people say, you really do hold it? You don't make any changes during the year? And I think it's a benefit because when I sit down to select a stock, I want to say, is this something I'll be comfortable holding for an average of five years? And that's a really, it changes your mentality, how you think about the stock, how you think about the dividends, what you what you want the stock to do for you. Yeah, you, you're not looking to just, in a best case scenario, it stays in the list forever. You're not looking for just the one year hold period, but that's the minimum. Aflac has been on every year. Right. What's the worst case scenario when you build a list and force yourselves, like if this is your discipline, what are you most worried about? Like an earnings restatement or like a shock chapter 11? I'm trying to think like. It's a, a, a bad merger. Is, a is bad merger. Well, so they or, buy or, somebody and the yeah. stock just gets taken out for the year. Exactly. And you're, and, okay. and the thing is, it's not the company you bought. That's the problem. You, you, you fall in love with one company and then you find out it's something else. So that can okay. be really frustrating. Okay. Now, if a company gets acquired in March and it's no longer trading by, I don't know how long these things take, September, like it literally loses its ticker symbol and it's a stock deal, you will hold the acquiring company at least through year end and reevaluate. Exactly. exactly. And if it's a cash deal, you'll hold it as cash or you'll pick a new stock? We'll, we'll redistribute it among the other 24 stocks. Okay. That's all. That's only happened once because usually we're getting some stock. Right. Okay. Like this last year, we got Veralto from Danaher. Okay. Yeah, no. So if it's a cash, if it's a private equity deal, company literally gets taken off the market, then you'll just say, okay, this was a 4% position and we'll just distribute this money exactly. amongst all the other names. Okay. Exactly. We, we're lazy as possible. That's the goal. <laughs> okay. No, I don't, I don't, I don't hate that approach at all. I know you have a lot of people who uh, read your site who are professionals and they probably are using you for idea generation. So they're probably saying like, all right, Eddie has a whole universe of like, I don't know, 10,000 companies he could pick from. These are the, the 25 he likes the best. That's probably not a bad hunting ground if you're a value-oriented investor. But then you have people who actually just want you to do the investing for them. And that's why you launched the ETF. Can you talk a little bit about the Crossing Wall Street? I know it's not called Crossing Wall Street ETF, but it has CWS as the ticker. <laughs> Thank you for the plug. But yeah, uh, so, you know, we, we started the buy list and we've had, you know, pretty good uh, returns over the years. So I was asked again and again and again, I love this strategy. I love what you're doing. Can I invest with you? And yeah. I had the answer was, well, no, I can't do that. Uh, but, you know, the, the uh, stocks are, you know, you can see. So it, it took a while, and I met with uh, Noah Hammond of Advisor Shares, and we had some discussions about this. Is there a possible product? And yeah. we said, yes, there is. So it was in September of 2016 we launched it. Uh, I had one of the fun experiences of being able to choose a ticker symbol. I've never done that before, going through all the stocks. And CWS was open for crossing Wall Street, so it was lucky we, we jumped on that. They're traded on the NYSC ARCA. That's the archipelago for those of you who've been around for a while. Actually, this past April, I was invited to ring the opening bell. So that was a, mm. that was a lot of fun uh, to do that. 
And, you know, we've recently had all-time high for net asset value for AUM. We're closing in on $100 million. I'm so uh, proud of you. Thank That's, you. Thank you is, so much. That is, that is, I remember in your first 90 days. Oh, my God. Like, terrified. <laughs> well, you know, I had, so I was one of the first buyers of the ETF just because I'm, I'm friends with you. And I just said, you know what? Whatever. I don't, I don't care how it does. But I remember, <laughs> but I remember you saying like, all right, I built it. When, when did they come? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I re right. re really, it is, it is a, uh, a, a learning process. Another thing I remember us having conversations, you hear all these talks about all these fees and uh, why did they have these high fees? And I remember there was a meeting, we were at sitting at a table and they were going through all the fees. Okay. The lawyer fees, the custodian fees, the exchange fees. And you really see that it, it there is a, the the fixed costs are pretty high to yeah. launch the fund, and you so have to, you have to charge something because you have to pay all these people exactly in order to to wake up in the morning and have the thing exist. <laughs> so, you know, and so people say, well, Vanguard is four basis points. Right. Well, yeah, that's Vanguard. Right. Uh, sure. Another thing I just want to mention that we uh, we were the first ETF to have this is the Fulcrum fee. So that means that the uh, the, the fee is uh, tied to how well we perform. So if we outperform the S&P 500, uh, I get a little bonus. If we underperform it, shareholders get a little savings. So to get one share of each stock on the buy list, I think it's about $5,000. And this you can get for, uh, I think it's around 58, 59. Oh, and, right. and this past year, we just got our fifth star from Morningstar. Very Incredible. happy about that. And uh, for five-year performance, we're in, I think, the second percentile uh, Morningstar yeah. assets. So, you know, over the last five years, we've beaten Kathy Wood. She's 100 times larger than, than we are. We've beaten yeah. Warren Buffett, and he's 100 times larger than she is. And so yeah. we're this kind of little robo. But, you know, I'm really thrilled that we've had, you know, a loyal, wonderful group of subscribers, of, of, of investors and um, you, we're we're doing well. I guess we're up from about twenty five percent last year. So I'm so proud of you. And you did that without being loaded to the gills with Microsoft, Apple, Nvidia. That's not what you're doing. We were mega free, magnificent seven free. <laughs> so I was looking at your performance. Like I'm looking at a three year. I mean, it's random. So as of January fifth, your three year performance, thirty two point two versus. I compare you to Russell one thousand. So I think you skew large cap, but you're not quite S&P 500. So 32.2 versus 25% for the Russell 1000. Now, there are t time frames in which you'll underperform. That's life. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and that's the, the, the important thing is that anyone can cherry pick a period of time where they look better or they look worse. They could cherry pick an index. But I think what Morningstar probably loves about you is the simplicity and the fact that it's no longer a backtest you're actually doing what you told investors you would do from the day that you launched, and that has not changed. And that, to me, is, I assume to Morningstar as well, that makes it really easy to recommend your, <laughs> your strategy. It doesn't mean that it's going gonna, it's gonna to work, but it, like at a bare minimum, it's going to do what you say it does. Yeah, yeah, ab okay. absolutely. And All also, right. I mean, just throw in, this isn't a big deal to me, but like our, our beta is around 0.9. So even we're doing this with, less risk, however you want to measure that. Upside downside capture is probably the way advisors would, would <laughs> yeah, most yeah. frequently quote what you're saying uh, mm -hmm. to their 
right? We get, we're, we're shooting, we get 95% of the upside, but only 82% of the downside. That's a, that's a home run when you're building a, a proposal for investors as an advisor. All right, let's talk about the list. So okay. how much turnover do you have coming out of 23 into 24? Is it more than usual, less, or just about average? It's always the same. It's five and five. This year's a little different because we're selling Veralto, which is the six, but that was part of Danner. Danaher anyway. So it's always five and five. Okay. So you always take out five names <laughs> and you always add five names. Right. Okay. These are the five names. The five names coming out are the ones that you have the least conviction in or something has materially changed. Something has changed. Yeah. That's, that's okay. usually what happens. Eddie, will you get rid of a holding where you still love the company, but you just, there are 25 better opportunities? <laughs> That does happen a lot. And I've, and I've uh, brought back names uh, before, which sometimes I've stupidly sold. But yes, yeah, it's all, uh, I don't want to say love, but there would be some reason why I want to get it. I could love it at a better price. Okay. Do you worry top down about sector weightings and concentrations or are you bottom up and wherever the chips fall, they, they fall? I'll go wherever I see something. I don't have any energy stocks. And people say, is that like your OPEC or your own thing in the Middle East? Are you bearish on oil, Eddie? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, just, I just don't even think that way. Okay. All right. Is there a sector where you've just never had holdings there because you just don't know it well enough? Or is that not an issue? Um, well, I would say energy is a, a good example. I mean, I would go there if I, if I saw something, but it's not as... You know, I, I probably have a bias towards a lot of uh, domestic manufacturing companies, probably where I most go to, but okay. I'll, I'll go anywhere. I'll go anywhere. All right. So what are the new names coming in? Let me see if I have them. Uh, first up is- uh, <laughs> well, So if somebody has them, it should be you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, American Waterworks. Cool. Uh, and, you know, this is, if I could, you know, a lesson for people listening is you know, not every stock in your portfolio has to be the company that's going to- colonize Neptune. It doesn't have to be the next whatever. I mean, it's a, it's a water utility. It's a very well run. It's been around for a long time. They have uh, consistently raised their dividends by a good amount, by like 10% for the last several years. They have these big contracts with several U.S. Uh, military uh, installations. These are 50-year contracts. No one wants to be the next Flint, Michigan, so, you know, but people really are careful about that water utility. They, their operating margins are very high, around 30, 35%. I think of this as a stock. This is a player that can come off the bench. It's not a superstar. He's a dependable player that can come off the bench, get some, you know, key turnovers for you, hit some big free throws. It's dependable. It's going to be there for what's you. The, what's the dividend yield on something like that? It's a regulated utility. Yeah, it's about 2.1, right? I think of the low okay. twos, so somewhere around there. But, but they have growing. raised it. Yeah, and you know, a lot I get frustrated when a lot of these dividend or risk credits raise it by a penny just to keep the street going. Yeah. They yeah. they've raised it <laughs> quite nicely. Okay. What what else what else is getting added this year? Here's a cool stock and this is I like to go for off the beaten path and this is the Federal Agricultural Mortgage Cor uh, Corporation. Josh, are you familiar with this one? Federal Annual agricultural mortgage. farmer Mac farmer Mac. Okay, yes, I know farmer Mac. I'm surprised. This is a company that so many people don't know, and it was you know in the 1980s a really bad time for American agriculture. So Congress 
chartered this company in the late 80s to be sort of the uh, uh, credit provider. Is it a GSE? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the president app appoints uh, five of the uh, of the board members, okay. and they provide you know uh, they lend to the lenders of the agricultural community. By the way, agriculture is probably one of the most socialized sectors in the United States. So there is an implicit uh, uh, backing, but not a literal backing from from the U.S. government. And in fact, that happened during the financial crisis when Farmac owned a giant slug of uh, a Fannie Mae. The stock fell from something like 37 to 2. Now it's at 190. Yeah. So, uh, and they are the low-cost borrower. It's one, I, I can't believe it's not better known, but it's a, it's a cool little company. Also, I like companies that are overlooked, that are really not followed by Wall Street. And, and when I say follow, I mean, there are people who follow them. I mean, the large investment houses. I was going to say, what sector is Farmer Matt? Far, the ticker is AGM. AGM. It's $186 stock. Is this a financial services company? That's what I would say, financial services. Okay. All right. So what's the what's the thing that makes it go up? How does it grow earnings? Uh, if they're the low-cost producer. They, 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 nobody can do what they do, providing- like Making uh, loans to agricultural businesses in the United States. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. No one can get it. They are a hyper-efficient operation. They have a, not that many employees. They, they have- they make a net profit of $800,000 per every employee. And they're going probably oh, wow. about- like a That's like a tech company. Yeah. And they're going for about uh, 10 times forward earnings. So it's, wow. uh, it's a good deal. Okay. And it's just one of these, it's a, it's a cool company. Not many people know about it. I really, I really, I, I like finding companies kind of off the beaten path. So Eddie, where, well do you where do you find a story like this? Is this a screen? And then you say, I never heard of this ticker before. Or what's your process? Well, I, I have no life, really. That's that's the short. No, so every, I, I think everyone gets that part by now. It's been okay. 15, that's it's been 15 minutes. Uh, you no, don't have to worry. I, I love what I really do. I remember, Josh, you and I having this conversation that, you know, is the Buffett and Munger approach dead? And I don't think it is. A lot of people want to say it is. I think there are those little companies out there that aren't well known that just get overlooked. You probably can't build the, you know, $800 billion fortune uh, of Berkshire had that probably can't be done anymore. But if you look around, there are just kind of neat companies that that get overlooked, and that's what I enjoy doing. Well, and so I agree. I agree with that. The thing is, Berkshire can't do that can't. with comp with companies that are a two billion dollar market cap because it won't affect their returns at all at this size. So they have to do it with Apple, right? Um, but but somebody like you can absolutely do this year in year out. Yep. And uh, I just found one yesterday. I forget how I came up. Oh, I was running one of my screens. I only care about 52-week highs because I'm just, that's just, that's just, that's just my persona in a nutshell. I found a company called StoneX. Have you seen yeah. this? Yeah. I never heard of it. It's because <laughs> it has a different name every three years. <laughs> but basically it's financial services business for commodity traders. They do everything. They do clearing. They do custody. They do reporting. Uh, data analytics. This is a stock that went from five to seventy dollars in the last ten years. Isn't I've it? never met anyone who's ever said a word about it. Right. So these things are out there. Mm -hmm. So you know, it's just like, yeah, you can build a portfolio of un overlooked companies. They won't all go from five to seventy, but a few of them will. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a, a, a another cool one. I don't know if you know uh, McGrath Rencore. 
It's followed by, I think, two analysts. MGRC, $112. Okay. And it was started by this guy, Bob McGrath. And what they do is it's business to business and they rent like modular buildings. So if you have a construction site in the middle of nowhere and you want an office there, they can do it for you. I mean, overnight. They and and it's not just the the the, the modular you know, offices, but it's like storage tanks and, and liquid containment and electronic equipment. They can get out there. Really, nobody can match what they do. They've raised mm. their dividend. I think I think they they had one off year, but it was like thirty years in a row. Thirty years of raising the dividend. That's Every pretty, year, uh, yeah, it's and, pretty and impressive. N- not well. I think the market cap is around two billion. They um. I they IPO'd like in I want to say like 1984 at $6. It's split so it's like 75 cents and what do you say 120 is it at one, now? I think it's one you on your buy list you say the price is 112 and you would buy it under 130. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. that's that's what it's done. Do you have to be bullish on the uh, do you have to be bullish on the macro economy no. with a lot of these smaller industrials or is that not really the bet? That, that that's not really. I mean, of course it helps, but yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. necessarily the case. I mean, you get the uh, the volatility, you can get in at a better price, and also, I mean, we're talking about the macro economy. There are so many areas of the economy that can be booming or that can be lagging during an overall bull or, or bear. So you know, when we talk so about in the- TV in TV land, anytime a guest says like they're buying some industrial stocks. The assumption on the part of the host is always, oh, so you're bullish on GDP growth. But it's way more nuanced than that. There are areas of the industrial sector where their stocks do better in a recession actually, or like the cycles don't, the the cycles of an individual type of business don't neatly line up with the global economic cycle always. Um, Or there are spending decisions that are getting made that are regardless of the economy. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think that that's very well understood by the public. And again, like, or the the particular financing of the company, yes. that can be affected by where, where interest rates go or currency movements. So the, all these things can be, you know, it's an industrial company, but it still can be largely independent from a lot of those, what we call important variable. All right. So that's Mark McGrath, Rentcore. And of course, <laughs> he was uh, the founder that's of the band exactly Sugar Ray. It. That's that's exactly the connection. So. Okay, so if you're into Sugar Ray, you'll probably like his equipment rental and storage business. Uh, what else you got? Well, keeping with that, we have Rollins. So with with Henry Rollins. Uh, that's right. This is, is a, an, another <laughs> great formerly of Black Flag. This <laughs> <laughs> really now is doing pest control. <laughs> <laughs> this is not going the way I, I initial planned it, but yeah, exactly right. But uh, a good example of something that, you know, Peter Lynch talks about that is companies that do gross things can really be good businesses. As Rollins owns Orkin. This is yeah. the biggest, the biggest they pest control bugs. company in the country. They kill bugs. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, you know, they, they talk about an important variable when you look at a company that has a strong moat, when people talk about that, is uh, pricing power. Not necessarily right. that you'll use it, but that you have it. And when people have rats in their house, they're going to say, I don't care what I have to pay, but kill them all. A hundred percent. 
you're also they, they, Bloomberg recently. They called this is Bloomberg, not me. They said Rollins is the Nvidia of pest control, and they talked about that. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's how they get you to click the article. I, know, I, that's guarantee, exactly, I guarantee that was the headline. I can't believe that Bloomberg would stoop. Oh, to oh no, pedestrian. I hold them in much higher degree. <laughs> But, you know, the, the, the CEO is talking about, like, these people relocate from, like, Maine and they'll go to Florida. And suddenly they see all these bugs and they freak out. And Lizards. They're calling up yeah. <laughs> and so they're calling up Rollins. Huge business. And a couple of years ago, it was a broad-based manufacturer, but they sold off everything but Orkin. And they have some other names, like, but it's Orkin for overseas. And, yeah. uh, you know, they're, I think, since 2000, up, like, 80-fold. And this is a forty. This is a forty-two dollar stock that you, on your buy list you say you would buy it under fifty. <laughs> okay, is is this a is this a, a bring back or is this your first time in in the stock? This is my first time in it. Okay, is there a price that this could trade to between now? If it's the Nvidia of pest control, clearly it belongs at four hundred dollars a share. If it if, if it were if to it have the best year ever and end the year, I'm just making this up. I'm not saying it's going to happen. Let's say it doubles this year. You now have to go into 2025 and say, hey, I still love the company, but I got to take it off the buy list because I don't think the fundamentals justify the run it's had. That's, that's probably a tough conversation you have to have with yourself because you're the investment committee. Yeah, and, and on top of that, you, so all the new positions, they're all equally weighted as of January 1st. So I'm doing a lot, you know, buy, it would be in that case, a lot of selling. No just to get what. everything exactly, right. exactly. Right. It's it's a tough decision. I try to make the, the any decision not purely on valuation levels because that I think is so often a mistake. Uh, yeah. You really want to see does the business change because the valuations come and go. You know, this is the business we've chosen uh, as uh, the Godfather. You know, these things they go in big waves. So sometimes you'll be rewarded, sometimes you'll be punished. But if the company changes who they are, that's not coming back. The uh, one of the hard things for me is always position sizing with mm -hmm. my own with my own investing. Like I, I, of course, I always feel like I don't own enough of the ones that are going up. So you are imposing this equal weighting on yourself mm -hmm. to keep the discipline, so you don't go run away with the circus exactly. the next time you have a stock that's like breaking away, and and you don't have that temptation to start selling other things and doubling up on that. Exactly, exactly. Okay. It, it for it forces the discipline on you, which I yeah. think, you know, it, But you'll amazing. let it run through the course of the year. Are, are you're not are you doing how many rebalances are you doing during the year? None. Zero. Zero. That's really okay. Josh, uh, my, I do nothing. I am a hero of American labor. I can see I can see. <laughs> no, but so this, all right, this is really important. A lot of people think like rebalancing is always good. Because it like it's it's discipline and blah blah blah, but if you rebalance too much, you will throttle your returns. You you constantly be cutting back your winners. Mm -hmm. So at so the beginning of the year, once a year, that strikes me as the right amount. Mm -hmm. If you're rebalancing quarterly just to like imitate some index, to me that's like a terrible way to manage a portfolio of individual stocks. Stocks move in streaks. You want to be there for the streak, right? I, and so okay. often, uh, I, the best year uh, of owning one of my stocks is like the third year. That's that's happened so often that you get it. You're excited about this new oh, company. Oh, that's interesting. And it just sits there. 
And, you know, there's this saying, sometimes the best stock to buy is the one you already own. And that happens at time and time again. And just out of nowhere, it, it, you know, the, my friend Louis Navalier said, you know, they can be like uh, rabbits. They're just sitting there not moving at all. And then suddenly they just, you know, gallop off for, for a huge gain. What's the fifth one? I think we got four. Amphenol. Uh, and they are, talk about boring uh, domestic. APH, uh, yeah. $94 a share. Makes electrical, electronic, fiber optic connectors. Inter- I don't know what any of these things are. Yeah. Well, t- it, tell us what Amphenol is. It's cords? They, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's it. They, they, they make cords. Uh, cords are going to be big this year. <laughs> they were, I, I think they're going to be as big as they were in, 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 in 2019. I really, a yeah, lot yeah, of people yeah. were saying we're not going to get back to the cord you know, environment we had back then. But I think we will. But you know, okay. they, they're one of these companies. I mean, everywhere you look, their their products are used. Not not well known name. Look at the long term chart. It's it's just a you know, it's just a, a straight logarithmic line upward. Uh, okay. I, I I this is the one I owned. I got rid of. I was stupid. I should have held on to it. Uh, so I'm asking for repentance from the company. Well, you know what's what's interesting about these types of companies is you laugh. You say, oh, they make coaxial and flat ribbon cables. Who gives a shit? Well, the thing is, in a lot of cases, this is the last company left making these things, yeah, which he, means pricing power, which means lower SGNA, which is good. It's good to be in a business that no one's even challenging you in anymore. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Okay. What's uh, before we wrap up here? Um, so you're in Abbott Labs. You're in. So a lot of the companies that we mentioned just now might be a little bit obscure, but you're in FactSet uh, Research, which people know. You're in Hershey, of course. Uh, Miller company. Industries is is the what, what is that towing and recovery equipment? That's the trucks. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah, tow, tow trucks. Great little stock. That that's our smallest by far. That is Otis is the place. elevators. Polaris is the uh, snowmobiles. Yep. So uh, Striker is a big company. Striker, wonderful company. Moody's has probably been one of our best that we've ever had. Sure. There's a. It's a little bit. It's a little bit Berkshire to me. It's Just got this that. collection. These are like all of these Actually, are companies I, I could picture Buffett buying. Josh, I, I, I don't mean to, uh, you know, uh, call you on this, but I like to say Berkshire is a little bit alpha mining. Yes. That's how I think of it. Um, many people are saying this. Many people are saying this. Is that accidental? I, I know he's somebody that you've always been inspired by and you've you've probably read as much as, as anyone mm-hmm. uh, about Buffett and, and Berkshire. So- it's, it's, I don't want to say homage, but you've definitely it, it learned abso- some it tricks. It absolutely is. It absolutely okay. is. Yeah. You should put that right in the name of the ETF. You should call it the pull Buffett the ETF. And, uh, you know, it, it's probably Just a billion dollar goes. product. Just see how it goes. <laughs> it's probably a billion dollar product. All right. Hey man, I'm so proud of you. Uh, I'm, Thank I'm you. really, I'm really happy to see that the product has caught on. You're, you're doing great. You look great. Um, great stories that you're invested in. You've kept the discipline. Most importantly, you didn't go chase NFTs two years ago. Uh, you right. You're not, you didn't chase disruption. You're like, <laughs> no. you're doing what you do and people do, appreciate do what we it. Do. You know, we're, we're awesome. consistent. We do it. And thank you for all your support and, and all the guys at Red Halt. You're going to come up to, uh, you're going to come up to New York and get some lunch or something. When, when am I going to be invited? Okay. Fair enough. We'll figure it out. All right, guys. So visit crossingwallstreet.com slash buy list to read about Eddie's 25 favorite stocks for 2024. 
Make sure to follow Eddie on Twitter if it still exists by the time this uh, this goes live. Eddie is one of the wittiest of all witty people in uh, in financial social media. So what are you, uh, at Eddie Elfenbein? At Eddie Elfenbein, yep. Okay. All right. Hey, uh, Eddie, really, really appreciate it. Guys, thanks so much for listening. We'll, we'll check in with you soon. Now stay tuned for What Are Your Thoughts? I don't come on without the music. Right. What up, gangsters? Gangster rats, welcome back. All new episode of What Are Your Thoughts? We are live on YouTube. It's youtube.com slash the compound RWM if you're listening to this. Want to give a couple quick shout outs here to to, uh, all the live uh, participants in tonight's show. Todd Polish. Polish? Roger's here. Sean's here. Tate R. Tate R is calling for five F-bombs. I'm going to disappoint you tonight, Tate. My uh, grandmother's listening. Chris Brown. uh, Nick Kaspersky is here. Tim F. There's a lot. We had a lot of people in the chat tonight. So excited. Some new names, too. Aaron. Aldo. uh, Mark O'Connell. Hey, from Tampa. I was just in Tampa. Had a great time. All right. Uh, we have a sponsor. It's Rocket Money. Michael, say some nice things about Rocket Money. I'll say many nice. You know, so I've said this before and I'll say it again. I love seeing the large transaction detected because it lets me know where my money's going. Today mm. I got one. It's like it's like the opposite of Christmas. Ooh, where's the money going? You know where it was? Town of Hempstead. Paid my what do you taxes. mean? You have a subscription? You have a it's not a subscription though. It's just like a, a one-time charge. Oh no 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 no! I do pay for Rocket. Money. I'm subscribed to Rocket Money. And no, no, when- no, 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 to Town of Hempstead, I'm asking. I don't have a subscription to the Town of Hempstead. What are you, nuts? I pay my taxes. Oh, okay, I'm just making sure. So I'm what is Rocket sure. Money? It's a personal finance app that helps you find and cancel your unwanted subscriptions, and I had too many of those. Helps you lower your bills, monitors your spending. They have over 5 million users, and these help save members an average of $720 a year, over mm. $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Not bad, not bad. So if you are wasting money on things that you don't even know about, like, are you subscribed to Peacock? You don't even know about it? Maybe. Go to rocketmoney.com slash compound to cancel your unwanted subscriptions. God forbid. Although you are going to want that. You are going to want Peacock. Chiefs, Dol- Chiefs Dolphins. I just, honestly, I just assume I'm paying for all of them. Um, I should get this for Sprinkles. I feel like she'd be into this. Because she does it. all the bill pay I stuff. I really do. Yeah. And you it, know shows what I you, like, your, it shows you your upcoming subscriptions. Yeah. All your bills, everything, whatever you're paying for. I need a thing where like everybody agrees that we're going to go to something and then one person buys the tickets and then says, okay, here's my Venmo. Everybody pay me, you know, $120. That's called the and text then, message. That's called the text no, message. No, because then like a week goes by and some of the people did it and some didn't and you already oh, forgot. Oh, like a reminder? I need like yeah. a, yo, Venmo your boy because yeah. you said you were in. Yeah. You said you said you wanted to go to Backstreet Boys Reunion. Right. What the hell? Send Josh right. the money. Right. So right. That's I do what's like going that. On. I do like that. Uh, we have to get to this. Uh, we have to get to this uh, tweet that uh, the SEC is now saying their account, their Twitter account was their X account was hacked, and so they sent an X 
that said, here it is. Sent Today, X. Sorry, I don't even know. I don't. I, I don't even know what's going on there. Today, the SEC grants approval for Bitcoin ETFs. They use the hashtag, so I should have. I should have known this is fake. I'm usually smarter. Uh, for listing on all registered national securities exchanges, there's a fake Gary Gensler quote, and it that it looks like as of 4:11 there were 1.1 million views on that tweet, which means it like immediately. And then uh, what happened next? Gary Gensler himself, the chairman of the SEC, came out and said the at SEC gov Twitter account was compromised and an unauthorized tweet was posted. The SEC has not approved the listing and trading of spot Bitcoin exchange traded products. So that that tweet came out at 426. It's very fitting. So it took them a minute. Took them a minute. But of course this happened. Do you have a theory? Of course. Do you, we are in the dumbest timeline. Do you have a theory? As Not who why. did it, but how, how it happened. Do you have a theory? I do. Well, go ahead. Okay. My original thought was, oh, they were, they, this was a scheduled tweet for tomorrow. Right? But then I said, <laughs> no way. This is- They don't schedule for, tweets. They don't schedule tweets. They probably figured out somebody whose employment is involved. Like they probably figured out through an employee who's like doing social media- for the agency, and they probably just stalked this guy or gal and hacked their account to find out their password. The thing is, though, if you were doing this, and I'm guessing the hackers were doing it to make money, oh, why I'm would not. it? You don't think that's true? No. But if you were going to, you would say that it was rejected and you would be short Bitcoin because if once it's approved, you don't know what the reaction is going to be. You know that if that it was uh, rejected, that this, 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 these things would have cratered. So you think that there's somebody who put out the tweet immediately, did some sort of a short sale on some instrument. No. And no, then no. waited for the SEC to come out and say, this was fake. It wasn't us. No, I'm saying if you were going to hack their Twitter account in order to make money, what you would have, what, what, what are you giving me the one? What? You interrupting me? No, dude. What happened? No, Graham Thomas, Graham Thomas called my cell phone and knocked me out of my headphones. I got This is why you amateur. I know. I know. Thank you for reminding me. You're right. Turn your focus on. on. Air, and honestly, I'm Graham going is on fired. on airplane mode. Graham is fired, Graham is fired for not knowing that we do this every single week, same time every week. Anyway. <laughs> If they were trying to make money from hacking the account, they should have said that the approval was rejected and they should have been short Bitcoin. Interestingly, though, now we know that it would have been a sell the news event. And it was only a little sell. Like the first candle ticked down to 44,750. So not major. But now, 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 now what is it going to be? You know what? It's a, it's a really good point. And my assumption like, oh, this was the tweet they wanted to send is totally invalidated just by like the wording of this, they didn't even, first of all, the SEC does not do this. Let's, let me, let's start there. If they put out news, they put it on their website. They don't go to Twitter first. Okay, that's one. Now, most people wouldn't know that or be aware of that, or most people would assume, I don't need to check the website because it's on Twitter. I assume it's already on the website. So that's one. The second thing is, the SEC doesn't like announce approvals of ETFs, like in a tweet. So why would they make an exception for this? If anything, they want as little fanfare around this as possible. It's like a grudging approval. They've made these people grovel for 10 years. 
So I, oh, 50, I don't know, 12 years. How long has this been going on? So the whole thing, I should have, as soon as I saw it, I should have said bullshit, but I didn't. And that, and that's the takeaway. That's the lesson. This is how easy it is to manipulate any market, any security, um, with, with whether using Twitter or anything else, people are prone to just believe what they see as a first reaction. Do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I believe everything I see on the screen. Even brilliant, experienced people like me, I, I saw it <laughs> and my first instinct was, oh, cool. Let's, let's add it to the show. No, but listen, but, 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 so now, but so now I feel like the guy in The Princess Bride yeah. who's like switching the poison a million times about, well, now are they going to sell the news or, or now because, because they almost sold the news, yeah, are they going to yeah, now yeah. buy the news? Maybe the SEC li- likes that. That's better. what they want you to think. That's what they want you to think. Uh, we're getting notification that CNBC reported the tweet as news. And then five minutes later had to react it. That's coming from John Carlo anyway, and Patrick never, both telling you us You never this. fight a land war in Asia. That's my big takeaway. I mean, this is – so now they have to, I think – this is like so – it's got to be so annoying for the staff. They have to now figure out what happened and tell everybody, I think. Like it's – there's a lot of transparent well, – there's a lot of talk but about just, transparency. Could there be or, any other way? Could there be any no, other way for crypto? This is, the perfect, this is the perfect way for anything crypto to go through the approval process – at the 11th hour, have there be some sort of a hack. It could not be more poetic. Yeah. It really couldn't. Yeah. Very, very on brand. All right, congrats to Crypto Land. You guys never uh, fail to disappoint. Um, this is a sort of big week. We have the start of earnings season. All the banks are reporting on Friday, or many of them. And we're going to get an inflation report. Let's, let's just start, though, with last week very quickly. You got a surprise upside in the December jobs report, apparently, it wasn't enough of an upside surprise to rattle the market um, because we we recovered from that pretty quickly. I think if this had happened three months ago, it would have been really problematic for the S&P. Well, rates, had a, rates had a decent move after the report and since then they've held. Yeah, so stop, but stocks, stocks didn't get beat up. Stocks digested. Uh, there's uh, me, 216. Go ahead. Sorry, before we get to what the Fed's going to do, I don't know why in my head I thought the next Fed meeting was in March, There's but there's one in January. Yes. I'll be on. I'll be uh, on TV. I think. I'm not okay. sure. <sighs> Two hundred sixteen thousand jobs added in December. That's forty thousand more than the month prior, and ahead of what Wall Street was expecting. Unemployment rate stayed at three point seven percent, which is obviously very low. Average hourly earnings, which is really important right now, um, increased 04 percent monthly, four point one percent year over year. Economists were looking for 0.3 and 0.3.9. We're splitting hairs a little bit, but directionally, it was a little bit hotter little on warm. the wage side than we a thought. Warm. A little warm. Uh, March rate cut odds fell immediately um, after this came out from 88% to 66%. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, the, those are the rate cut odds. So the market did somewhat reprice, although still overwhelmingly it appears that traders do not believe there's a, a, a sit still in March or worse yet, another hike. So, but why are we talking about March? Because there's one in January. I think because March is the targeted, quote unquote, first cut. Understood. Right, because like it's always been- in January, they're still expecting a pause. Goldman's, I think Goldman Sachs or UBS or some big firm started by timing when they thought the first cut would be. And the consensus started to settle around March. That's why they're watching that 
that uh, month. John, we have, this might be a few charts ahead, but the CME FedWatch tool, the meeting probabilities, oh, your money. You're so money, John. You don't even know it. So here we go. So there's the January. We're at 525 to 550 right now. And it looks like, you know, that's basically been decided that they're not doing anything in January. Yeah. And then it looks like just one itty bitty baby cut in March. As of now. Um, maybe that's maybe that's why stocks didn't have a bigger reaction because there was nothing, in, no, there was no indication that January was a live meeting, right. I guess. And I know the Fed would say they're all live meetings, but they're and not. And all of those, all those numbers change with every report. If CPM, if CPI comes in hot, uh, on Thursday. Well, then so I was going to say out. January could very quickly become a live meeting if CPI comes in hot. So let's we got a live it. one. Got a live one. Thursday we get CPI, Consumer Price Inflation uh, Index, and then the next day, uh, these are for December, by the way. So this data already comes out a little bit a little bit stale. Um, no, these aren't real time. Uh, and then the next day, Friday, we get December PPI, and this is coinciding with the reports from the banks. It's gonna be a lot of action this week. Um, CPI is expected to increase 0.3% month over month for December and 3.3% year over year. November's monthly increase was 0.1% and 3.1%. So it's actually it's actually a little bit hotter. Yeah, 0.3 um, sounds like not nothing. No, it's not nothing because you have to annualize that shit. Right. You know what I mean? All right, let's take a look at this. So this is CPI on top and PPI on the bottom. CPI, I think, is the more market-moving number typically. Uh, these are not big increases or anything like that, but, um, you know, it's 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 about expectations. It's not about absolute numbers. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Anything, anything left to say on this? No. Going in the right okay. direction. Bank earnings start Friday. JP Morgan, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, BlackRock, and City all on the same day. Why do they do that? Always. I don't know. Why are they why are they trying to get get all that in in one shot? Somebody's trying to hide behind someone else. Man, JP uh, Morgan looks like NVIDIA. <laughs> JP Morgan is the NVIDIA of banking. I have always said this. Um so JP, here's the deal. We have a chart. Uh JP Morgan's revenue is projected to grow 13%. No one else is growing revenue. It's wild. Wow. Look at this. It's dope, right? Um, they are, the bank's recent updates suggest, all right, this is Bloomberg. The bank's recent updates suggest it could surpass its net interest income guidance for the period. That would open the door to a possible lifting of its $80 billion midterm target for the metric. Net interest income is literally the lending book. Like JP Morgan Chase does a lot of stuff. Net interest income is like how much they're making on, on, on bank, like traditional banking. Is that the best way to explain it? Deposits, yes. Deposits, right. Uh, net interest income at Bank of America and Wells are both going to contract. But the story there is improving asset yields should begin to offset funding cost pressures. So you know, I have a question. Please. So we got, I think, our first firing in the NFL today. Two. Uh, Mike Vrabel was, was let go from the Titans. Good coach. I don't know. Uh, Rivera's gone. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Smith is gone from, from right. Atlanta. Yeah. So, so anyway. One one. Anyway, uh, if Jamie Dimon went to Wells Fargo, mm. could he turn that back around? And if so, like, would that, how long would that take? What would I think need it's, to happen? I, it's a Jamie Dimon. To traded to Wells Fargo. It's a Jamie Dimon protege at Wells Fargo. It's Charlie Scharf, I think. Is, is, uh, he, he's a Dimon. He's a diamond protege. 
So it'd be weird. It'd be like Bill Parcells replacing Bill Belichick uh, as a head coach. Um, so I don't, that one doesn't look likely. I think if Diamond's going, it's not to go run a shittier bank. <laughs> no, I, I know he's not going anywhere. I'm just saying. He like, to be would, the treasury secretary. If he were, if you were at Bank of America, would he be able to turn Bank of America, would he be able to recreate the success that he had at JP Morgan? Yeah, I think inside of three years. I think because it's culture and he sets the culture from the top down and Bank of America is not even doing badly. It's just not as good as JP Morgan, right? Um, Citigroup is going through a transformation. They have a CEO named Jane Frazier and she's firing anyone or anything that even looks at her wrong and the street loves it. So City is a, City is a story stock. Uh, Piper Sandler noting that executive comments at a December conference implied weaker than expected results. Net interest income is projected to be flat after six consecutive quarters of double-digit expansion. So Excellent nobody's good. Nobody's nobody's too excited about City. Um, yeah, but the stock looks really stock good. Stock looks good. Yeah, I'm saying the expectations are low, which is what you want. You understand? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I asked you to I asked you to take a look at BlackRock. I don't I don't really follow this company as closely as maybe I should. This is the largest asset management firm on earth. Uh, certainly one of the most important companies in our ecosystem, the, the financial advisory and wealth management space. Um, it did, is you see the not, news, did you see the news today? I don't know. What is it? I'll tell you if I saw it. No, you didn't see it. BlackRock oh. will dismiss about 600 employees or roughly 3% of its global workforce. That's good. We like here's that. A, here's a, no, we don't. Here's a quote from Larry oh, Fink. We, like we see our industry changing faster than at any time since the founding of BlackRock. Uh, the executive said that the ETFs have become the preferred vehicle. Of co okay, of course. Uh, and perhaps most profound new technology is poised to transform our industry and every other industry. So whatever, they're, they're letting, I don't know the last time BlackRock did layoffs. But that's meaningful. They have a lot of people, dude. I mean, they have a oh, lot so of so assets under management, but they have a lot of people. And Nine I don't trillion? Know, yeah, trillion? I know they have great, they have great people. Almost everybody we've ever dealt with at BlackRock, I say almost because you know the guy I'm talking about, but in general, <laughs> almost everyone we've- Everybody at BlackRock's been-, been Remember the wholesaler from like eight years ago? I'm not, no names. The guy, the guy who was yelling at you to watch your duration or whatever. No, that wasn't BlackRock. That wasn't BlackRock. That wasn't BlackRock. I do, I know exactly what you're talking about. That was hilarious. Um, all right. Let's look at some of the charts though. So said, watch your duration, goddamn it. It was like yelling at me. Like this is like this is a long time ago. It's like 2016. Fair. Okay. Uh, uh, wait, can revenue. I just set the set? Go I want to set the stage though. Yeah. Here's the problem at BlackRock. Um, net flows are expected to slip 58% versus the same period a year ago, which is a much more moderate decline compared to what they reported last quarter, which was an 85% plunge in net flows. So um, the analyst is saying, while large client redemption and fee rate pressures made for a tougher operating environment last year, the outlook for asset managers in 2024 is turning more positive, potentially aiding flows. So that's the setup. Last year was just, look, last year, everyone's competing against the 5% 5 dollar. How many uh, times did I say that to you? All yes, of us, we were everyone. all competing with cash. And That's BlackRock, right. the biggest asset manager in the world, is certainly no exception. That's so right. 2021, I mean, obviously the, the pandemic boom was massive for them. Net new flows at all-time highs. And so this is their revenue. So yeah, they're, they're off their highs. They break down, this is kind of weird how they break down their business. So if you look at like client type, they break it down by institutional, 
and this is, you know, sovereign wealth funds and pension funds and all of that. ETFs are a third of their business. This is just in terms of AUM. And then retail is another 10%. What is- Can I ask you a question? Yeah. I don't understand this. Where do, where does wealth management or like the wirehouse chat, like where does, let's say Morgan Stanley go? Where does Ritholtz Wealth Management go? Are we in institutional? that's That's an ETF. Oh, we're in ETFs because we so. use their ETFs. What I if we use so. their SMAs and not their ETFs? Then that Are we would be then an institutional? Yeah. They should change that reporting. It's, it's, it's weird. It, it's been like this for a long time. It's, it's odd. Chart back on. Uh, you know, let's go to the next one, actually. So look at, look at retail. Now, this is, I'm guessing, things like SMAs and some of their actively active mutual funds, which obviously have fallen out shit, of favor. It's a non-existent business for them at this point. Well, it's small. It's 10%. Yeah, it's 10% and shrinking, it looks like. 10% and shrinking is non-existent. Yeah, I mean, look at not that. good. Give it like versus the size of this company overall. So like, total is on the wow. top left. And you could see just decelerating net new assets. It, last but, year was really hard. Okay, so then that's a good setup, though, for this year. Really good setup. Look at the chart. Yeah. chart. Chart looks really good. Do we have that chart? Do we make that chart? It's okay. I didn't though. put the chart in, but the chart, chart looks really good. Okay. Um, describe it to me. No. It, how far <laughs> off the high? <laughs> how far off the high is BlackRock right now? I'm just eyeballing it. Uh, let's see. Fifteen uh, percent. Not that high. Not that. Not that far. Okay. All right. Looks good. I'm gonna. Uh, I will be following this with great interest, Michael. I want to do some more bank stuff. Um, I grabbed some stuff from Belsky. Not all banks. It's 80% off its highs. Not all banks are created equal. John, can we run through some of the tables in here? Uh, let's look at... No, no, no. We could skip this. Let's... All right. I just want to... Just real quick on this. This is from JP Morgan's Guide to the Markets. Look at the exposure. Just focus on the left-hand chart. Don't oh, worry we about skip, the We the skipped right. a whole bunch of stuff. That's uh, okay. The, ta- the tables. You don't want to do it? Okay. No, I do, but I want to do this first. All right. Uh, the, the main difference in terms of asset exposure by bank size between the top 25 banks and the smaller banks, look at the commercial real estate book. Holy moly. 44% of, of small, small the exposure banks. of small banks is to commercial real estate versus just 13% at large. That makes, sense, that makes sense to me. I, I probably would have guessed that. You're surprised by that? Uh, yeah, yeah, I am. Okay. Um, they're about the same. Small banks and large banks are both uh, like 22 to 24-ish percent residential real estate. That's exactly you know what else I'm surprised by. That's exactly I, what I would have expected. Actually, you know what? Never mind. Now that I think about it, I'm not, I'm not totally surprised that consumers have more exposure to the, to the J.P. Morgans of the world. You have it backwards. Yeah. It's J.P. Morgan has more exposure to the consumer. That's, that's credit. That's that's, said. You said it. You said consumers have more exposure to J.P. Morgan. That's credit card. So right. like, like for the most part. So small banks are not issuing Visa uh, cards and Chase is. So that's, that's that. Put that back up real quick. Chart back on. C&I loans are fairly close. That's, uh, that's like construction stuff. Um, I don't know what other is. What do you think that is? Eh, you know, just like other stuff. It's a big difference though. 19% of large bank businesses quote other. So you know, other is, other is, don't, other is, is uh, mind your business. Others don't uh, worry Wall, about it. Maybe Wall Street don't stuff. Don't worry about that. I want to look at some valuation stuff. This is from Belsky at BMO. So not all, not all financials are created equal. 
Like look at, and we'll talk about why in a minute, look at the valuations that you could get these big banks for. Really nothing. Mm. 10 times forward, 10 times trailing. Well, there's a reason. There is a there's reason. A, there's a reason. They're not great, they're not great businesses. Like they're really, they're re highly regulated. I, my, my argument, I, what I've said about the banks in the post GFC period is that we've turned them into regulated utilities. They just That's happen equity. to be, yeah, they just happen to be um, well, here's why. involved in money, not electricity or here's water. Here's why. Look, they just, they, were, they are not, JP Morgan and a, and a few others aside, they are not nearly the dominant money-making kingpins that they were prior to no. the great financial crisis. They have been delevered dramatically. dramatically. A, lot of the, a lot of the businesses they've been driven out of have now been taken over by uh, private equity, private credit, hedge funds, um, all sorts of other types of structures, fun, mostly funds, where they're willing to take risk that banks are no longer able or willing to take. And that's why they look more like regulated utilities than they look like corporations. And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. It's okay. Um, but so that's the, the new business they're in is just being bulletproof. And that's why JP Morgan went from 120 to 170 last year and the other banks didn't. JP Morgan is considered to be bulletproof and that is the primary attribute you can exhibit as a publicly traded bank. I so. really like the setup for banks. Uh, it's been the last time financials were the leading sector was 2012. John, quilt on, please. Yeah, they were almost zero dollars. <laughs> these were these were penny stocks in 2011. So that, it's been, that makes sense. It's been, it's been a long time. <laughs> and I would bet on financials being the leading sector, what sort of odds would I need for the oh, year? I, I'll I take the other side. Plus 600? the other side of that. Plus 600? Hey, do you, do you know that like uh, 2012, Bank of America was $6 selling... Um, selling private instruments to Warren Buffett. <laughs> like it was, when people forget, there was this echo crash in the financials in 2011 when it looked like Europe was gonna wreck them, uh, interestingly. And these banks in 2012, the setup was incredible. I don't think that's the set, same setup right now. No, you know what? I'm sorry, I take that back. Not plus, not plus 600. If there are 11 sectors. Yeah. Like what, what would the odds need to be for you to pick the banks to win. I, I think that they're going to finish in top five. I like the setup a lot. Top five sector out of 11? So no, if you were to pick for, you're not a betting guy, but in, or, in other words, what I'm getting at is the yeah, odds how much, that how you much would money need. do I want to put up? Right. Because, because obviously my bet is easier. Right. I don't, I don't have to get them at number one. I just have to make sure they're number two through 11. That's an easier bet. So would I be able to put up, would I put up 300 to make 100? Like that kind of thing? Let me think yeah, that but the over. opposite, but the opposite. Oh, right. Yeah. But, but let me, but let me think about it. Let me think about it. I do um, like banks this year. They look good. Okay. Well, we'll, well, I'll let you know Friday, uh, what I think of that. <laughs> I'll let you know Friday by nine, 9 a.m. What, what I think of, about that idea. Did we want to look at some of these performance charts or are we done? Mm, we could skip it. Skip it. It's up to okay. You. All right. I don't really have anything, but I want to talk about earnings overall. John, could you put this wall street journal chart up while I talk? So analysts expect companies in the S&P 500 to report a second straight quarter of earnings growth. Profits for the fourth quarter are projected to have risen 1.3% from the fourth quarter a year earlier. So not bad. Um, that's down from the 8% profit growth analysts had projected at the end of September. For all of 2023, Wall Street now expects earnings grew 
0.8% from 2022. So in other words, we get these Q4 numbers, we will now have the official tally for all of last year. Um, one of the things that's interesting that's going on chart off this year, uh, analysts are looking for profits in the S&P 500 for 2024 to be up 12% full year. That's fact set. Um, but there's some question about whether stocks will rally, even if earnings climb, uh, because the S&P is trading 19.2 times those projected numbers. Thank you. And the five-year average is 18.9. So even if you get those numbers, we're basically like at the, we're at the average uh, forward PE. Does that make sense? There is, dude, there, there, there is absolutely zero. And I mean, zero information in how expensive the S&P is over the last 12 months and what it's going to do over the next 12 months. Completely meaningless. Completely. Right. right. But you would concede. No, but. Hard if stop. We were six, if we were 16 times and not 19, you would still be more bullish. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So yeah. is there zero information? There is zero or is information. is there not that much? At the fact that we're 19 times earning, that tells you absolutely nothing. Yeah. It tells you nothing. All right, great. I'm glad we spent five minutes on that. I uh, mean, I'd rather be 16 to 19, but so what? Okay, you're up. Guess what? Would you? I mean, if you're at 16, you could be on your way to 14. At 19, on your way to 21 or 17. Who the hell knows? It's meaningless. Lower number better. Sorry, Lower, is. lower numbers usually go lower. Yeah. Uh, no, they don't. Sometimes no, they, they don't. don't. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're bottomed. All right, let's talk about, uh, just when people think about Google, I think most people think about the search engine. Yeah. And don't appreciate just how gargantuan YouTube is and Maybe what size it Maybe if they started be, calling it by its actual name, which is as Alphabet, a stand, as a stand then they wouldn't entity. just think of Google, the search um, engine. I'm sorry. I, th I still say Google. I'm a traditionalist. Uh, our friend Pierce Crosby tweeted this chart. The, this is the estimated size of YouTube. And I don't know how fast it's going to grow in the future, but I mean, this is going to just continue to grow now. What is this? Estimated size in what? In I'm guessing billions in revenue. I billions. Oh, okay. So <laughs> we don't know what the It doesn't matter what, what the it is. is. It could be. Who cares? Numbers. Yearly numbers. estimated size of YouTube. It's big. It's got to be do it's got to be dollars in revenue. It's billions of seconds viewed. I don't know. It's a big number. <laughs> this is a great setup for the segment. Uh, all right, I think this is my number one uh, of the Mag Seven, and we we have a very special guest uh, coming on Compound and Friends at the end of this week that we're going to be able to ask all these kinds of questions of. But I think Alphabet has the most potential upside this year, and it was it was it was. Uh, it was amazing last year too, um, but this is still not at its 2021 high. Uh, and I think the fundamentals are, are much better now than they were three years ago. And I think it's going to take out those, those levels very soon. I agree. Um, most of the reason I think that is because of the value of YouTube not being appropriately reflected in, within the alphabet uh, mothership. Also, there's so, been headwinds. I didn't. I didn't get to this article today, but I don't know. It was Axios or somebody said that the ad rep, the ad uh, yeah. industry is stabilizing, which is which is the business of this behemoth. That's right. So look, Alphabet is the only only major media play media company that that um, doesn't need sports rights, 
everyone else has to have sports rights, including eventually Netflix and probably right now Amazon Prime, just to justify their existence. Warner Brothers needs, everybody needs sports rights. With, with YouTube, they could decide they want to start bidding for stuff just to turn the whole world upside down and put pressure on their competitors. But if they didn't, it wouldn't matter. But they and that puts era. them in a NFL Sunday ticket, yes. But they didn't have to. I really don't think materially it would have made a difference because they're not under the same pressure from Wall Street as a lot of the other players. True. It's just like a nice to have. And that's that puts them in a really interesting position. But I'm telling you, they are going to do more with NFL. They will do more with NBA. And why would they do that if they don't need to? And it costs a lot. It'll accelerate the transition that's already inevitable from linear and it will hurt their competitors and force their competitors to spend more somewhere else. It's a brutal game media and they have media people inside of YouTube figuring this out. Right now, the street values the company at 40 billion. Um, there's a very popular take, Michael Nathanson of Moffat Nathanson last Wait, summer. Wait, hang on, time out. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. How do we know the street values YouTube at $40 billion? Like on average, based on where the analysts peg it in their reports. That sounds crazy low, no? YouTube's, yeah, well, I mean, YouTube's worth a fifth of Netflix? No way. I think, I think it's about to be re-rated substantially higher. Um, Michael Nathanson uh, says it's worth as much as $240 billion, and I think that's low. He said that last August. He went on CNBC and- he kind of explained, this is him. We think in four or five years time, YouTube TV will be a bigger provider of channels than Comcast or Charter. We think YouTube TV will get over 10 million subs in four or five years. And then they'll really be in the driver's seat of deciding what the next bundles look like. Um, growth in YouTube will help position the platform to sell channels. So they're going to be the hub. Everyone's yeah. like, oh, they're going to rebundle all this shit again. Yeah. And guess where? Guess where? It's going to be your Google account. That's how you turn on your TV, start with YouTube TV, and have access to all of your bundles, all of your channels, all of your apps, all in one place. Google literally has the potential to be the gatekeeper, to be the new cable company. If people understood that better, this would not be worth $40 billion. Like, uh, and then I saw a take that was even more bullish. You, you know who Laura Martin is from Needham? Mm -mm. She's their internet analyst. She re-ups her valuation for YouTube every quarter. So she takes Alphabet's running commentary on what they say about YouTube and then adjusts. She said two weeks ago, if Alphabet were to spin out 10% of YouTube as a standalone company, it would be worth between 350 and $400 billion. Like if they were to do like a 10%, not a tracking stock, but like here, we're going to spin out the first 10% in an IPO. She thinks it would immediately be worth double what Netflix is worth. Wow. Double what Netflix is worth, okay? I asked Sean to make this chart and he crushed it. Put this up. Isn't this so good? We made this. This is a, this is a Ritholds original. Um, this gives you an, an idea of what the media landscape would look like if YouTube were a standalone publicly traded company. I love uh, this chart. The only thing is- At her valuation, at Laura Martin's valuation. We need, we need some disclaimers on YouTube estimated, right? I don't want this circulating. This well, no, no, no. This. this is this is based right. This is based on what the Needham analyst thinks it could be worth. I understand right? that. I'm just it's saying hypothetical. that. You, yeah, it's hypothetical. Okay, that's why. Uh, but by the way, this wild. does seem it does seem inevitable. I was thinking yesterday. Um, I was what night was it? I was watching a football game, and my 
t- my TV was spotty for whatever reason. And I said, let me just throw it on, on, uh, there was a game, it was Sunday Night Football. So I was watching on Peacock and it was perfect. And I thought that when I was watching the Sunday Ticket, which I subscribed to, it's wild that you get all of this through like the internet on your TV, right? Just the fact that this exists and it does seem inevitable that this is like, the, it's it's the digital versus the linear, which is the analog. It's the same thing with, with what ETFs did to mutual funds. It's inevitable. I think the, the real battle is Amazon versus uh, YouTube to yes. be the hub for people's watch. So it's the fire stick versus YouTube right now. That's what I think it is. That's what I, I think say, it is. I thought you were going to say that Amazon is going to be competing with YouTube for sports. I think those oh, are yeah, going to be the two biggest. Have, that'll for sure happen. They will be the two biggest digital uh, I players. will tell you how you know they're about to get serious and start competing on, on like national, like, you know, ESPN just did a huge deal with college sports for all these championships. Put that aside. NBA, NFL, these things are all going to be in flux in the next couple of years. And it's like a, can you imagine Amazon like, oh, we have to outbid Fox? Like, are you kidding me? Right. So, okay, here's how you know. What happens to the regional sports networks? They're a disaster. There are only like five cities that could afford their own mega app with all their local teams. New York, Los Angeles, Chicago. There'll be a few of those. But every team, like Utah Jazz fans, want to be able to watch the Utah Jazz on TV. How, where are those where are those deals going to happen? I think Amazon is going to start just creating regional sports network apps for different cities and just locking up the rights from the teams. Like what would stop them from doing that? So I think that'll happen first before you see any kind of major takeover for bigger events like Super Bowl. But directionally, we can all see that this is where this is trending. I think so. Because yeah. right now, if you're if you live in a city – outside of your home city and you want to watch your team, there's no, there's, there's a bundle. You can't just watch the jazz. If you live in New York city, you have to pay for the entire thing. Let me bring this full circle for you. And then we can move on. Do you know how Mark Cuban became a billionaire? Do you know, do you know what he built and sold? It was, it was like that thing for streaming basketball. No, it was 25 years ahead of his time. Yeah. Um, he built, he w- was building something theoretically that would allow him, I think, I think he wanted to watch Hoosiers games. Right. In Indiana College Hoops, he wanted to be able to watch it from wherever he was. And that was the idea behind broadcast.com. And of course, we weren't where we needed to be with uh, anything for that to actually be possible. Yahoo bought the idea, I guess, for like a lot, a lot, a lot of money. But we definitely didn't have the broadband or any of that to do it. But that was the idea. And, uh, man, man, was he ahead of his time. That's what's actually literally going to happen. You're going to be able to watch your favorite sports teams via YouTube TV or Amazon or, or some platform that is digitally native and not a cable company. And let me take this one step further. Not today. I don't even know if it's next year or in five years. But with the Apple Vision Pro thing, you're going to be able to sit courtside. Mm. Like, you're going to be able to watch games with a premium from the, service. From the perspective of somebody sitting courtside. Right. Yeah. 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 It's going to be but, nuts. Yeah. But can I stick my foot out and trip a player like Larry David? Because then it's not really courtside if I can't. All, All right, right. Let's let, move on. Let's do, let's do chip stocks. Do you even understand what's going on right now? These no, things educa- educate me. These things went parabolic to start the year. Um, CES is the Consumer Electronics Show. It is one of the most important launch pads for technology products for the year to come. Uh, let's put up NVIDIA. 
they Josh, how many, how, many, how many times did we say over the last three months that NVIDIA was trading so, so, so well, digested so well. all of those gaps higher, yeah. went sideways, never even threatened to come close to filling the gap or even in the gap. It just digested and then exploded. Credit to You NVIDIA. ain't lying. Um, NVIDIA looks just sick. So they came out guns blazing. They announced a whole host of stuff with Chinese automakers like all these design wins in China, which people were really, like a lot of their homegrown automakers, um, they announced all these strategic deals with, which people were a little bit surprised. And uh, then, what else did they do? They announced the RTX 40 super chips, which are gaming and AI related. And then they announced this workaround for China AI chips, which they have to throttle back they're really powerful chips because there are military concerns about how effective um, their stuff is. But uh, overall, the street obviously loved what it saw. And one other really interesting thing that came out of uh, CES, Microsoft said for the first time in three decades, they're gonna change the keyboard on their laptops and desktops. There's gonna be a co-pilot button. So, they're like Copilot is they built this AI into Windows, which is supposed to help you do your work or or do what you're doing. They're actually gonna have a key that brings up Copilot on the computer directly from the from the the keyboard. And they don't do this. They have not made a change to a Windows uh, uh, driven keyboard in three decades. So Microsoft is really going all in here. Um, some other stuff from CES. Let's put up, uh, we have AMD. Dude, AMD is making moves. Look at this, look at this stock. We're long, we're long. Remember, we, I, remember we, on, we were on the train? I said, I'm gonna buy this just in case. Dude, AMD had a whole raft of announcements that took people by surprise as well. Um, they announced their Ryzen 8000G desktop top chip. Oh, that was my thesis, they, the 8000G, there it was, boom. Um, the, the significance of this chip is when you do anything cloud computing related, it excuse me, AI related, it requires you to access the cloud. And sometimes there's a wait and sometimes it's faster, sometimes it's slower. Um, they have a chip now, for, they say for, it's the first one ever um, that's gonna go into a desktop computer that can handle AI based tasks without connecting to the cloud, native to your PC you're going to be able to do certain AI workflows. This is a pretty big breakthrough. It makes the PC all of a sudden a lot more important in the new age of computing because what if the future of AI is some of the stuff your computer is handling and some of it's in the cloud and it's just better distributed that way. Pretty powerful. Now, imagine you're doing AI related stuff where there's privacy concerns. You don't necessarily wanna send those workflows to the NVIDIA cloud, let's say, or Amazon's cloud. This is a way that you can have that stuff stay close to home right on your own uh, computer, your own server. So this is seems like it's a pretty big breakthrough. And I, don't, I guess they're beating NVIDIA to market with this, or I don't know, but people seem pretty excited about it. Uh, let's put up, let's put up, we have one more, we have ARM. I was hating on this thing when it came public. I might have to change my mind. They are not like a huge innovator in the space, but they have the resources to become that. 
This company was almost bought by NVIDIA, Chartoff, uh, Arm Holdings, and the, the uh, antitrust uh, restrictions, you know, just made it impossible to do the deal. And so SoftBank floated it as an IPO Dude, anyway. If Arm, if Arm Holdings gets big enough, that could lead SoftBank to fuel us to the next bubble. I hope so. We can that, I mean, that's what I'm hanging my hat on. Anyway, this was an incredible uh, week for chips. All of these stocks went up 5%, 7%, and that's after being up huge last year. This is just going to be a, a year of AI breakthroughs, announcements, new products, new hardware. It's, it's just so exciting to be watching this in real time. Do you agree? What are I, your thoughts? I, I completely agree. You know, like years ago, when I made the reasons to sell chart and yeah. I tried to invert it and I did like reasons to buy and I, I was like, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like there, AI was an actual, like November of 2022 was like a holy oh, shit buy. It's that's the only funny. time that I could think, and I guess the the weight loss drugs too, but it is super exciting. I was talking on- You should uh, have said on, AI, bitch. That's a I was talking buy. with Ben on Animal Spirits about somebody threw out this idea. What if Apple, who has been conspicuously silent, they really haven't said anything. What if they come to market with something? Like, can you even? And um, I don't know how, how to handicap that, but what if they do? Because they're, they're not getting any benefit of any of this stuff. Yeah, they've made some noises about AI, but they haven't done a, a product release or something. But can you they imagine? Haven't. Yeah, no, I can imagine, and I think they will. Especially, so, if the, especially if the stock price falls. That is not at all anywhere <laughs> near the, the price of the stock. So yeah, chips are on fire. It's hard, it's, hard, it's hard to be bearish when the biggest and best companies in the world are doing all of this exciting stuff. That's a great segue. And so, That's a great um, segue. Are stocks expensive? So I know I said earlier that it, means nothing over the next 12 months. And, and I stand by that. And I'm not even sure that it means anything over the next three years or five years. But nevertheless, we like to talk about how rich or cheap stocks are trading. And my opinion, are stocks expensive? No, not really. This chart comes from, looks like a Yardeni chart. It does uh, look good. It oh, there it is. Yeah, it is. It is. Okay. So the red line, for those of you who are in audio only, this is the forward PE of the mega cap eight. And interestingly- 28. Like it's 28 times. The forward PE of NVIDIA has come down dramatically as they've blown out earnings. Uh, the forward PE of NVIDIA is 40 times. I don't know, this doesn't sound crazy. Obviously it's not cheap, but nor should it be. <laughs> nor should yeah. it be. Why would, but it if be you why would it be cheap? If you strip out, if you look at just the S&P 500, it's trading again at like 19 times forward earnings. But the S&P 500 X, the mega cap eight, it's 17 times. So mm. it seems perfectly reasonable. And if we're just looking at one metric, of course, it doesn't tell the full story. So uh, Bellscat BMO has a valuation composite where they look at the S&P 500, the, the PE, the forward PE, the price of book, price of sales, and inverted dividend yield. And, uh, you know, it's sort of in the middle. I don't know. Not crazy. What's, what, what is, so what, are the, what does the y-axis mean? Like what, the, what are those? So that's like, that's a Z-score. It's pretty technical. I'm not sure you would understand. This is basically comparing it to its previous self. Okay, got it. So on, on a scale of its own history, it's not terribly expensive. We've seen, we've seen it much more expensive is, is the point here? Yep. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't, look, I don't think like, I don't think like this year the bear case is valuation. I, don't, I just it's don't, not. He, it's not. I just don't hear the bears screaming about valuation, maybe because 
that that particular complaint has made them look like idiots for so long, so many times. But no, like, in 21, it, like it was it. it was real. It was in it in, was in the 2020 bubble era. Shit went crazy. And that was stocks the bear got case. Way guess even what? good stocks got way ahead of themselves. Guess what? I agree. They, it was, they were right. So yeah, at, at extremes, valuation matters. When you're sort of floating in no man's land, eh, there's a great chart uh, from Fernando at 314 Research. So he said, today, the median stock is only a few percentage points away from its value at the time uh, of the SP. Okay. So the blue line is the median stock. And as you can see, very close to an all-time high. However... If you go down to the 25th percentile, uh, a quarter, they're like 25% off its highs. And if you go down to the bottom decile in terms of stock performance, there's a lot of stocks that are still 50% below their highs. So if we do get a broadening out when of- When is it not? Wait, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna hang with Fernando at some point in the future. So we'll ask him this question in, in person. But when is it not like this? No, like, no, of no, course, no, no. This is extreme. It this is. is extreme. Okay. So I could this be wrong. I, I don't know. I haven't done the work. This is extreme. I would it's, say that if you if, if you looked at the spread between where the median stock is from the all-time high versus yeah. the bottom decile, it's probably not a 50% spread. Uh, I guess I wouldn't know. Like I would guess that maybe it could be. Not all the time, but a lot. But maybe I don't know. We'll, we'll, so uh, anyway, we'll if the out. rally continues to broaden out, uh, I would not fight this tape. And we'll see, but uh, earnings season could change everything. Just so we'll ba- on the basis of how many, how far away the ten, the tenth, the ten percent percentile. These are the bottom ten percent of all stocks by performance since the high in twenty twenty one. Correct. Are an average of forty five percent off their highs. Correct. And you're saying that seems extreme. Okay. Extreme. Yeah, I guess so. Saying so the does. gap between the median, because the blue line is yes. not the top, dude. It's the median. Yes. Yes. So the gap between the median stock and the shittiest stocks, it's it's dramatic. Okay, I'll dramatic. I'll 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 give you that. And and that actually does sound that does sound extreme to me now that I now that I understand what we're looking at. It takes me a minute with some of these charts. Um asset class returns. Ben Carlson did his quilt. He does this to start every year. I love it every year. Um this incorporates 2023 numbers. So I just wanted to kind of go through this. Thank you, John. Well done. So last, so he's looking at not only 2023, uh, every asset class and where it landed on the quilt, but then he does the 10 year, the 10 year look back and averages the last 10 years of each asset class. So let's just focus on last year. Um, the best performing, uh, uh, asset class, large cap stocks. Most people would have guessed that that's 26.2%. International stocks up 18%. I don't think most people are aware of that story. JC nope. definitely is. <laughs> As people who watched the show last week know. Um, mid cap up 16, small cap up 16, REITs up 12. Equal weight up 10% last year. Uh, oh, merging markets, uh, it says EW. No, it's not, that's not right. I thought equal weight was up like 18%. Maybe he's doing small caps and large caps, dude. Maybe he's, that right? Well, it says actually... It says uh, it says the tickers of the ETFs he's using below. What which one of these would be equal weight? SPSM. No, it's SPSM. I'm an RSP guy. What's that? I'm looking right now. SPSM. Nope, that's small caps. So what do you think he's using for equal weight? All right, you can call your boyfriend later. My mistake. Out. My mistake. I stand corrected. 
Equally, it was up 11.7% in, yeah, in they 2020. Wildly right? underperformed cap weighted. I thought it was last better. Year. I thought, and I thought you knew that. Hmm. Uh, bonds up 5.7%, cash up 5%, tips up 3.8%, and commodities down 10%. But what, what really is interesting here is that he then averages out uh, that 10 year commodities are negative 1.9% over the last 10 years, which is just horrendous. That's the but standout. That is incredible to me, right? Yeah, is that that's yeah. the biggest takeaway from this? You can have an asset class do that over ten years. It's that's got to be so disappointing for people that have like a heavy weighting toward commodities, or they didn't understand commodities are for trading, not investing. Which we we run into people like that. Um, what else? Oh, so this was crazy. He says a basket of commodities is down fifty percent since the start of two thousand eight. The S&P 500 is up 350% in the same period of time. So, I mean, that's that's pretty that's a pretty big takeaway. Emerging markets absolutely suck. This is another big one. It's been this way for a while, it's not news. Um, but he says from 2008 to 2023, so it's 15 years, EM stocks are up a total of 28%. That compounds that's a compound uh, average annual return of 1.3% a year. Again, versus 350% for the S&P. You know what it takes so, for me? Another one, investing in their rear mirror is very easy. None of well, this- of course. None of that's this the tells, point. None of this tells, well, that's my point. None of this tells you anything about the right way to be allocated for the next 10 years, which were that easy. Well, no. So, all right, that is a true takeaway. I don't disagree. I'm saying no, because I think the bigger story is that a lot of the things that you think are the driver for stocks- end up not being the driver for stocks. Go on. And so, well, when I got started in the business in the mid-2000s, so I guess I was somewhat new in the business, the whole story was emerging markets and the whole rationale was the BRIC co countries were going to have much faster economic growth and much better demography than the United States. And some of the demography stuff was way off. Like they were right about India and Brazil and really wrong about China. But put that aside. They didn't know Russia was going to turn into a basket case, uh, international pariah. They didn't know China was going to like um, do an about face about globalism. And uh, they, you know, they didn't know that Brazil was going to have one corrupt president after another. All they did was they said like, look at the middle classes of these countries. They're going to quadruple over the next five years. Well, over the next 15 years, that hasn't meant shit. And these have been the absolute worst things to be invested in for so long that I almost can't remember the last time somebody was bragging about being in EM stocks. So it's, it, it's not, a, you're not investing in the economy and you don't even know how well the economy is going to do. Even if I tell you what the demography is or the population growth or whatever you think is like the, the can metric. Just, can you just say demographics? Saying demography. Well, as opposed to what? Demography. 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 Demographic. Demography is a study of demographics. <laughs> you. Uh, all right. Uh, what do we got next? Uh, let's, let's move on. Yeah, we're, we're next. To the end here. Oh, 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 ooh, ooh, ooh. I like this one. All right, this is from Warren Pies. Another three fourteen special. Look how great this is. Warren was saying that. Uh, what was he saying? The average strategist target is only two percent above the market. So this is an incredibly for, for all of two thousand twenty. This is an incredibly sexy chart. He took this back. This just this goes back to here, but he's looking at the S and P five hundred, and the strategist, the average strategist forecast for where stock prices are, mm -hmm. and 
not much higher at all. Historically, strategist targets are 6% above the market. And here we are barely, barely, barely 2% above where we are now. So anyway, the point is, the point is. He's saying that's good from a, like a, a sentiment contrarian sentiment. standpoint? Yeah, okay. yeah. Right. Remember like um, in 2021, we were saying that analysts need to lower their ex- their expectations? Well, they did. <laughs> Other way around. <laughs> what do you mean? Analysts' not, expectations not, went up? No, they're not bullish enough. They're not bullish enough. Yeah, yeah. No, I know. Everyone got really bearish. They lowered their expectations and they and they kept them low. Yeah. So, okay. I'm going to make the case. Uh, here's a lesson. Sometimes the best stock idea is the stock you already own. And CrowdStrike, which we had George Kurtz on the show recently, and I've been involved with the stock since 2020. Uh, but I just can't believe how good this thing looks right now. And, you know, a lot of people spend a lot of time. Here's, this is CrowdStrike price chart. Wow. And before we go any further, I don't give financial advice on YouTube. Please don't uh, start putting trades in based on what I'm saying. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not telling anyone to do anything. Uh, I'm a long-term investor here. And, you know, people spend so much time constantly looking for new ideas and always, like, considering other stocks to invest in. Or, But sometimes, like, the best one is right in your face. You, this thing is going up for the exact reason that everybody knew it would go up. And it's not done. So Morgan Dude. Stanley Morgan Stanley had to raise their price target. First of all, Morgan Stanley had to upgrade this stock from a neutral. Can you imagine a neutral to a overweight, I guess, or buy, whatever their equivalent is. Uh, here, let me just read this. Um, analysts are upgrading the stock based on, quote, improving demand, broader platform traction, multiple product cycles still ramping, including Charlotte AI, which you and I talked to George Kurtz about. If anyone didn't hear that episode, you can find it in our podcast feed. Uh, ransomware attacks are on the rise, driving stronger demand for CrowdStrike's incident response and endpoint security services, boosting the company's professional services revenue. How funny is it that they said this this morning and then the SEC got hacked this afternoon? <laughs> the Twitter account got hacked. That's exactly what we're talking about here. And it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. I generally like the idea of stop obsessing over the next thing and focus on what you already have. But it sounds sort of like not survivorship bias, but like, dude, this stock was in a 70% drawdown a year ago. Did you buy yeah. more? Uh, yes, I did. Good for you. I was upside. I was upside down in it for a while. But it's e- it's easy to look at your winners and say you should have owned more of it. Like if only it were that easy. Of course, I wish it you were that what, easy. You don't know what your best what your best no, ideas but, but, are. But what I'm saying is like the story here hasn't changed at all. Like the reason to buy it in 2020 was the same reason to buy it in 21 and 22 and 23 and still in 24. The mega trend of incident response to hacking. And cybersecurity spending is is and always was a story. This is not like, oh, they pivoted to this really cool thing. Like the, the story was always a great story is what I'm trying to say. And CrowdStrike was always a great player inside of their business. So it's not a turnaround. It's not a, it's not a, a company with a new CEO. It's just that it's always been the same story. And the story is good. Analysts said they expect improving earnings, uh, improving EBITDA to sustain 30 to 35% free cash flow margin. Morgan Stanley upgraded, increased its price target from th- to $304 from $203. Oof. <laughs> Oof. Anyway, uh, shout to uh, shout to CrowdStrike. What a wow. what a what a rally. 
All right. Uh, it looks amazing. The fundamentals look great. The stock, the price looks great. Yeah, stars are aligning. Uh, okay, um, I've got a mystery chart. I'm going to make this very easy for you. This was the second best performing stock in the Russell 1000 last year. Second best performing. Why are you saying Russell 1000? Because it's a company that's not in the S&P. Mm -hmm. But I'm assuming mm -hmm. it's big. Mm -hmm. And juicy. Yes. Sector, please, sir. Tech. Got to be tech. Ooh, you know what? You don't know? I'm going to say, I don't even know what a sector is anymore, dude. I've been telling you this. I'm guessing it's a financial. It's a financial. It's, it's a financial? financial? F*** out of here. What is this? All right. I, I lose. I lose. Is it is It was it a stock Visa? that you said was, eh, I think it's going to zero. Oh, it's Coinbase. <laughs> what, what are we doing here, Michael? What? Didn't I already eat, didn't I already eat shit on this uh, on Thursday? I'm like just it, saying. Are we going to do like a, a rolling like no, apology no, no, no. tour for me let, on Coinbase? Let me ask. Let me ask Still you this. Still want it to go to zero. Go let ahead. me ask you this. Is it a technology stock or is it a financial stock? Uh, it's, uh, it's a crypto stock. My head hasn't been the same since I am a nine sector guy. That's where my comfort zone is. Once yeah. they took REITs out of financials and communication services into its own thing. Yeah, I don't know what they're doing. I'm out. I agree. I agree. Uh, what is it classified as? It's not I really a, don't it's, know. I, th I would. It's got to be a financial, no? Well, Russell and S and P don't have to match up. So if it's in the Russell 1000. It's not in the S and P 500. It's, it's got to be one of the. It has to be one of the bigger market cap uh, weights in the Russell 1000. By the way, like CrowdStrike, also not in the S and P 500. Unbelievably. So are, the, so are those the next? Are those the two biggest Russell 1000 stocks? That I don't know. Is Coinbase profitable four quarters in a row? If it. so, I would guess it's going in. It's got to be bigger. It's got based on its share price performance. It's got to be bigger than the bottom rung of S and P names. The thing is, there's no time. There's no timetable. It could happen anytime. I think there are ten billion dollar market caps in the S and P five hundred. It's. I think the cutoff's like fifteen. To get in, it's like between fifteen and twenty. But then if they fall, they don't yeah, just yeah. get kicked out right away. Yeah. So you could be right. Yeah. Um. I think CrowdStrike gets in before the the middle of the year. Personally. So maybe after the next time they report, something like that. So, hey, uh, hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Did you know it's Tuesday night, which means uh, by the time you're hearing this, there's a new Animal Spirits already on your favorite podcast app. Join Michael and Ben for Animal Spirits every Wednesday. Ben is going to do Ask the Compound on Thursday if you have questions. Make sure to send those questions in. We love them. Uh, what is the way to send questions to Ask the Compound? Did we change the email? I forgot. Ooh, I don't know. I think askthecompoundshow.com probably still works, though. I don't know. Maybe we'll correct that in post. Uh, what else I want to say? Brand new episode of Compound and Friends on Friday. Uh, so excited. This is a new guest to the show. Somebody who's got excited. an expertise in an area that I feel everybody wants to talk about. So look for that. We will uh, see you guys soon. Thank you so much for watching. Talk to you then. Whether you're just getting started as an investor or you're managing a multi-million dollar portfolio, Ritholtz Wealth Management has the solution for you. It all starts with building the right financial plan. To speak with a certified financial planner today, visit RitholtzWealth.com.